With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and in today's podcast, we're going to be looking back at Saturday's 3-0 defeat against Arsenal. Boris Johnson has brought in the rule of six, and quite frankly, it could have been six yesterday. Arsenal ran rampant against Fulham, who looked good in the opening stages, but ultimately were a bit toothless and pretty calamitous in defence. Here to review the match is Ben Jarman. How are you doing, Ben? Hello, hello. I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Sam? Yeah, good, thank you. And his man with his ear to the ground on all things FFC, Jack Kelly. Hi, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, fine, thank you. We haven't had you on the pod in a little while, Jack, so uh, nice to have you on again. Oh, thanks for having me. No, I've been busy on the uh, on the YouTube scene. Mate, you've been more than busy. You've been tapping up AFTV, getting views by the thousands. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been really good loving your content, especially with Joe Sanson. Make sure you check out Jack on the Fulhamish YouTube channel. Nearly at 3K subs as well now, Jack. We're, we're coming, becoming a bit big time over there. Yeah, I had a look this morning and I think we're about... 20 away from uh, 3k so if we could uh, if we could push that that'd be fantastic yeah i've really enjoyed it there's got to be 20 people listening to this podcast who have a youtube account that haven't subscribed to us yet so uh, i think that's a very much possibility jack that maybe by the end of the day we could uh, hit 3000 and uh just to carry on the self-indulgence a little bit more it's fulhamish's fourth birthday today um four years since we first recorded a podcast uh myself dom farrell and jack reviewing a one nil defeat against birmingham city and uh well four years on it was an equally drab game to be talking about on the podcast today um ben as ever we do three world reviews after every match been a little while uh, i guess we haven't done one since the playoff finals so uh, what were the three world reviews that came through like yesterday that you liked uh, cool so we went to twitter for these um and uh we'll start with king's crust uh Sonka gorgos who said sign two cbs uh <laughs> then we'll have uh, drew heatley who said let's use perspective in his very wise words as always from Jer- from drew he's been around for a long yeah. time a man that's been around for <laughs> an even longer time farrell monk said gunpowder three non-flop and then uh, it wouldn't be a fulhamish podcast without uh soul bamba who said fan base meltdown incoming yeah do you know what i don't think there was much of a meltdown yesterday i i and I didn't expect one either because I think most Fulham fans hopefully would have been fairly rational about again about yesterday. It was a difficult team, an informed team that we faced and we lost. We kind of expected to lose Jack. Um, let's have a look at the starting lineup. And I thought this was really, really interesting what Scott did yesterday. A lot of us were on Twitter on Friday using the Fulhamish squad selector as to who we'd go with. And I think we all had a mixture of new names and old names in there. But Scott Parker went for a full old in terms of from last season 11 only one change from the playoff final which was even Cavalero coming in for Deca Dover Reed and it was a sign from Scott and I think it was so symbolic of you got us here it's your place to lose and I think Scott made the right call there I think that's pleasing I think that 
it completely contradicts what we did in 2018, where we just you know brought in 13 new players and, and nearly started half of them in our first game against Palace. It was nice to see a midfield three that started against Brentford, and although it, we didn't get the result we wanted, you know the continuity in the squad it, it does kind of make sense um, that the, the squad confidence will still be there back from August. And look, I, I don't think we played awfully like really awful, but I think there is room for improvement. And, you know, we do have new signs that can bed in in the defence as well. And, and hopefully we can just push on from here. I'm, I wasn't too shocked that Mitrovic didn't start. Um, obviously he played for Serbia, but he did have that hamstring injury. So he's maybe a week or so behind uh, everyone else. But look, 37 to go. Happy days. We're here in the Premier League. Let's try and enjoy the ride. I love your optimism, Jack. Um, ben, it was a bit of a surprise for Mitro not to be in the starting eleven. Obviously, we know he didn't really play in the playoffs, but I kind of thought, as he had played for Serbia, that he would be in contention if he was fit enough to play for his country. Do you think it was fully, oh, Scott wanted to give him a rest, or do you think there was a bit of tactics in here with trying to press Arsenal high? We saw a lot of times last season, Arsenal were really fallible when you press them high and well. And maybe his thinking was that Kamara would do a similar job to what he did against Brentford, which which worked against Brentford, but didn't quite work against Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. I wonder why. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a massive gulf between Brentford and Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, isn't there? But I think for it to be a tactical decision to leave out arguably your best player is probably um, ridiculous, to be quite frank. I, don't, I guess he's trying to protect Mitrovic. Um, maybe he wanted to give us uh, a little bit of a foothold in the game before bringing him on and really starting to try and occupy someone. But when you look at Arsenal's lineup, they had Rob Holding, Kiarantini, and New Signing Gabriel as their back three. You know, if, uh, if you're really going to give all three of those a sort of a baptism of fire, you have one of the most informed strikers in Europe in your starting lineup, surely. So I kind of feel like he's just trying to protect Mitrovic. Um, obviously, may not have had too much of a pre season with that, with that hamstring injury obviously been out on international duty with, with Serbia and may have had to isolate for a couple of days when coming back. So it wasn't at full fitness, but you'd hope that he starts the next couple of games. Yeah, and I'd expect him so. And also, I guess from Scott Parker's point of view, is he, if he's thinking, where do I need Mitro more? Do I need him for Leeds and Villa or do I need him for Arsenal? And if that was my decision as Parker and you kind of, it was unlikely he was going to feature in all three I would definitely you know Leeds and Villa are much more important games we know that we did start quite well yesterday Jack and I was fairly optimistic after about seven and a half minutes we had kind of two chances the first one was a bad back pass from Maitland Niles who's had a great few months obviously made his debut for England the other day but it was a terrible back pass I actually think Kamara should have maybe done a little bit better I think it was a real guilt-edged chance that he missed yeah and we kind of saw this coming like Arsenal like to play out from the back and also Fulham like to play out from the back. So if we've got players like Kamara, Caviero and Cabana with the pace to press, then maybe opportunities like that will happen. And yeah, it just so happened that Kamara had the pace to get to the ball first. He just, the first touch didn't quite take it around Leno. And um, it was it was a promising start. It, it, it gave me optimism that we could press Arsenal and create more opportunities like that. But um, like with the third guy, I'm sure we'll come into it. The way they played around us was fantastic. But um yeah, early chances, and then the first real chance they got, you know, it was a mistake by Riemann, and they scored. And that, the only two things I was really disappointed about yesterday was the way in which we create, uh, we we didn't create enough chances, we we lack creativity, and the two goals, the first two goals we conceded were really disappointing from our end. 
Yeah, Ben, let's come on to Arsenal's first goal. Um, I was really gutting. It kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, Aubameyang managed to just stop the ball going out of play, kind of bullied a doy slightly. Um, But it it really wasn't a well-struck shot. Um, I'm not 100% sure who it was on the end of the box, edge of the box who struck it. It might have been Xhaka. But then, yeah, yeah, Ream just, oh, he got it caught between his feet and... Oh, it was just so messy and horrible. And do you know what? That third goal that Arsenal scored yesterday was a beautiful counter-attacking move. And I can kind of accept that Arsenal might score goals like that. Or if Aubameyang had put one top bins from 40 yards as to open the scoring, you kind of just have to shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well. But that was really avoidable yesterday. And maybe just showed, is Tim Ream actually going to last a full Premier League season because I'm not looking forward to it massively if we do have Ream and Hector at centre-back all season. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to be completely honest about it, I mean, when the ball comes in at that angle right at your feet, it is incredibly difficult to sort of adjust your body and get the ball away. But as you said, the the chance comes and it's completely avoidable. You know, we didn't get out quick enough um, either to pressure Aubameyang or to, to push the defence up and give the keeper some space and to avoid that shot on the edge of the box. I mean, one there was one common trend throughout the whole of that ninety minutes was that basically that Xhaka or El Neni was just essentially just sat on the edge of our box without any pressure on them whatsoever. Um, and then yeah, as you said, it's a little bit of a scrappy goal. It feels completely avoidable. And then if we're talking about if Reem's going to last the full season, honestly, I don't think so. Um, I do think it's a bit irresponsible for Fulham to be signing two centre uh, two wing backs. Uh, and a couple of other players before addressing what is probably going to be the real issue here, which is a centre-half partnership that yesterday didn't look great. I mean, Reem is getting a lot of flack, but Hector didn't have his best game. There was a lot of misplaced aggression in there. Could quite easily have been sent off if if like Premier League officials had sort of upheld their end of the bargain. I think it, there, there were a few tackles in there that could have seen him get that second yellow. And yeah, I feel like he was a little bit slow as well. I mean, admittedly, Hector was also quite slow when he started after the lockdown, I remember. And we were wondering what the hell happened to Michael Hector during during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and he maybe is just one of those players that takes three or four games. He also didn't start amazingly when he when he played those first games. I think it was against uh, Villa in the cup. He was a little bit shaky. Um, it took him two or three games. So I'm hoping that's the case with Hector. But there's just a real lack of speed between them. And, and someone like Aubameyang who is rapid you're not going to face the likes of him every week but I'm not massively looking forward to a good 9-10 games where there are also going to be other rapid attackers against against those two because I think it was said in commentary they look like they're running on different surfaces at times Ben yeah they do and I feel like when when we say that we won't face someone like Aubameyang every single week but basically, the Premier League is built on speed. You know, every single team has that rapid player. You look at Southampton, they've got Redmond, they've got Ings, and you look at Palace, they've got Zaha, they've got Eze. Even the teams down the bottom of the league have rapid players that are going to attack you. And when we talk about the Premier League, chances chances come out of absolutely nowhere. You know, Arsenal sort of seem like they're on the back foot for nine minutes yesterday, and then they scored out of nothing. You know, te- yeah. teams can do that to you, and you need pace to cover those attacks and that's why you're seeing so many Premier League teams invest in centre-halves that are are not only tall and can can sort of claim uh, a stake in the box but also have that huge amount of pace you know even Arsenal's newest signing Gabriel he's got a decent pace about him 
Uh, and there's a reason why they keep hold of like Rob Holding, etc. It's because not only is he positionally fairly good, but he's also got a decent pace to make up for any mistakes. Yeah, I was um, I was speaking to a Chelsea mate of mine. I know they do exist. Um, mm. Who was saying, you know, why don't you try and get someone like Tamori in on loan? And I'm not saying necessarily Tamori is the answer, but you do have to wonder if maybe they do need to either just look in the loan market for for a young, fast, pacey centre back who may have mistakes in him. Undoubtedly, will have mistakes in him, but also might just be able to get get the likes of Reem or Hector out of jail a few times. Um, that that would maybe be my advice well I mean I think it's quite clear that we need a centre-back at the moment and I don't think any fan and probably I don't think the management are are dumb to it I I imagine they they will be in their psyche but one thing you did talk about there Ben was um, being able to command a box but Jack that was very much how the second goal came about. I mean, if there was if there was one situation I would have thought Reem and Hector would be pretty good at, would be defending a set piece. It was so simple. It was horribly simple. The fact that Gabriel just had a free header two yards out. If that happened in a Sunday league team, you'd be fuming. There was so many. Oh, there was just so many things that annoyed me about that goal. The, the box was clustered with with players, and um, Hector was the wrong side of Gabriel. Not, not. I mean, it was three minutes into the second half where really I thought we'd we'd come out the second half stronger and and look like we could try and get an equaliser. But it was a sucker punch, and Gabriel didn't. Yeah, he didn't even hardly have to jump to get that, and um, came off his shoulder, I think, and went into the net. Just such a disappointing start to the second half. Such a flat goal to concede through the keeper's legs. Um, no marking. No no sense of awareness. No sense of of urgency to get the ball away. And that's what frustrates me the most because at two 0 down conceding two really soft goals in our first game back. Everyone's looking at us and going, oh, Fulham, they won't be good because look at them, they're conceding soft goals. And I just can't be bothered for, for everyone to write us off. I mean, uh, we're one game in, but yeah, the second goal, Sammy, was just so frustrating. I'm, think about it now, Yeah, I cry. It's just, it's. I just saw Norwich last season concede so many goals from set pieces, and if you can't defend them, then you're kind of on a hiding to nothing. If you can't just get set piece defending right, you know it's going to be a difficult year. It's not. And Scott Parker's completely right when he says we're going to lose more games than we win. But the basics is being able to defend set pieces. Norwich couldn't do it last year, and and they went down. With, with a way out of whimper and I just really don't want that to happen again to us this season you saw Cardiff score two fairly simple set piece goals in the second leg of that playoff semi-final so fingers crossed that you know Stuart Gray and, and whoever our other defensive coaches are can can maybe get us a bit tighter from that front because it was really shocking and then you know the third goal comes about I mentioned it earlier that's a lovely move from Arsenal but they mentioned it on match of the day Ben about our pressing and how it wasn't cohesive as a unit. It was often a Bubakar Kamara on his own. And it might, again, work in the championship. You might be able to scare a few defenders who really don't want it as uh, the Sunday league cliche goes. But <laughs> Arsenal do want it, don't they? Uh, they're not scared, even with the linebacker um, size of a Bubakar Kamara coming at you. They're just going to play it around you. It's, it's way too easy if we're going to press, but not press well. I think the thing for me that became really apparent and, and something that was actually really, really shocking uh, and something to be really concerned about was that after that second goal went in, all sort of, all shape we had and we'd held all game just disappeared. 
And, you know, Abubakar Kamara was pressing and no one else was following him. You know, Harrison Reed was in a low block and no one else went low. When Anguissa came on and they and Parker took the wingers off, they they basically had fullbacks marauding up and down the pitch because nobody knew if Fulham were entering into a low block to sort of stem the tide or if they were trying to press. Um, and I think that that's the biggest concern because... Yes, we looked great for the opening 10-15 minutes and, and to hold 1-0 to half-time was a, was a fairly big achievement for a team that last year probably looked a little bit sluggish out of possession. Um, I thought we had turned the corner, as I put in my half-time thoughts. But then, yeah, as soon as that second goal went in, everything changed. You know, uh, Fulham seemed to be all over the place positionally. People weren't holding their sort of their position entirely and, and people just went missing. And I think... There's a contrast between the two teams and I know that obviously there's a massive gulf between Arsenal and Fulham, but Arsenal had a clear game plan to to funnel Fulham into the middle of the pitch and snuff out everything using the three centre-halves, Xhaka and Elneny, whereas Fulham tried to f- funnel uh, Arsenal down our right-hand side, so their left, but we couldn't do it. Mm. Um, and then just completely lost all the shape, as I said, after that second goal went in. And uh, I think that's the difference between a, a really well-drilled Premier League team and a, and a Premier League team that's slightly... Uh, naive. Yeah, and whilst it was pleasing in a sense that it didn't end five or six, I'm not going to say that it was all down to Fulham. The one thing that maybe did stem the tide a little bit was the double substitution, bringing on Mitrovic, bringing on Anguissa, and both looked positive. Mitrovic actually did try and just give those defenders a bit of a tough time. You know, 3-0 down, what's he going to really do? But um, let's talk about Anguissa, Jack. He came on and I thought he looked pretty impressive. Okay, yes, he did get mugged pretty horrifically by Danny Ceballos, but... Other than that, I thought he was excellent. He looks so languid on the ball. That you, you almost want to initially criticise him. That he's, he's almost Berbatov-esque in the way he kind of just strolls around and struts around with the ball, but it does allow the rest of the team to kind of play off him and, and relieve some pressure. I, I think he looks a class above, but I, I did see a bit of debate on Twitter last night with some people maybe getting a bit overexcited and some people saying, like, come on, lads. He, he had a couple of nice touches. Let's not, let's not think that he's suddenly the answer to all our problems. He he looks very nonchalant on the ball, and I think great word the way he uh, the way he just kind of strolls around the pitch, plays the nice passes. I think he had uh, yeah he obviously got nutmegged by um, Sabios, and he had a, a dodgy touch on on one occasion where he lost the ball. But apart from that, he looks tidy, he looks clean, and you know he could be a real useful tool for us this season in the, in the midfield. But um, it's just down to whether we keep him. I know Seri is nowhere to be seen at the moment. Um, but it, it was promising to see Anguissa on the bench and the fact that he came on and actually put in a decent performance is quite promising. And I'm looking forward to seeing him um, if he can play a part this season. I mean, Ben, you've you've sang Anguissa's praises for, for a long time. So do you start him against Leeds? Um, I think so, yeah. It, it all depends on, on the fitness of, of Anguissa. Obviously, uh, we found out in the week that he had only just come back um, into the squad. So... Um, it all depends on how well he's sort of like getting up to speed. But I think for him to be introduced yesterday, um, I think does underline his importance that, well, how important Scott sees him for for this squad going forward if we manage to keep hold of him. I feel like there are a few players yesterday that actually probably deserve more criticism than than the debate that Anguissa's getting. You know, I thought Tom Kearney was very, very, very below what, what we should be expecting from a from a starting captain. And for him to be playing in the eight role, I still think it's absolutely the wrong role for him. 
Yeah. I think I feel like he held on to possession for way too long, wasn't anywhere near as aggressive enough of his passing as we needed him to be. Um and, and just looked an absolute shade of the player that we saw sort of two years ago. And you sort of wonder, you know, where has where has this come from? Like where will Tom ever reach the level that he was at, you know, two two years ago? Mm. It's hard with Tom. I think he changes so often, doesn't he? He goes from, you know, bad games to good games so quickly. Um, but yeah, I don't think that eight role is for him. It's it's really difficult. Where do you put Tom Kearney? That, I do genuinely think Josh Onoma tends to do the kind of between the eight and 10 role better than Kearney. I don't think Kearney sits well in a double, double pivot, particularly when you have the quality of player that we can put there with Harrison Reed, Anguisa, Lamina. I, it's hard to see Jack exactly where Kearney fits into this midfield. And it's a lot of the problems again, coming up from the Premier League season, you know, you want to include Kearney because he's your captain and because on his day, he can provide a spark of magic, but sometimes you feel it's to the detriment of the team to actually include him sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's interesting just because he's the captain it almost seems like he has to start. I mean, I wonder if Scott will have the uh, cojones to actually drop him for a game and, and play someone else. I mean, Onomar and Reed and Anguissa in midfield, maybe. But um, the thing with Kearney is because he's so one-footed, he just slows it down, and it's very, it's very like when they when he gets pressed, it's like he has to turn one way and play the obvious pass. And, and the, what we had yesterday was a lack of creativity, creativity in the middle. And um, yeah, I thought the build-up was really, really slow from our midfield. And you know, we saw that last season against Birmingham and, and you know West Brom, and it was frustrating. And in the Premier League, you're not going to create enough chances and score enough goals to keep us in the division if your build-up is going to be that slow. Um, it felt like we were just keeping possession for possession's sake at some times and there wasn't enough runs being made from the front three to create those risky passes, to create the opportunities. Uh, Kearney, I thought, yeah, was extremely slow and, and would go backwards rather than forwards. Uh, frustrating because I, I do love him. I think he's a fantastic player and obviously he's done so much for the club. But... Um, if we want to progress, we might have to drop him for a couple of games and uh, and put someone else in midfield to try and create some more opportunities. Yeah, I mean, Ben, I'm going to come on to a question here from Jacob Wong. Um, everyone's talking about the defence being bad, in brackets it is, but in his opinion, the root of the problem is zero creativity and dynamism in midfield to connect defence and attack. Uh, 0.2 XG is laughable. That's what we got in expected goals yesterday. It was, I think it was actually less than 0.2. It was like 0.15 or something like that. Onomer and Kearney simply cannot be our creativity in this league. Thoughts? No, I... Th- I... I do completely agree. I feel, I feel like yesterday we were we were so sluggish in the middle. Um, a lot of a lot of players taking what, two or three too many touches, um, not getting their head up enough, not receiving the ball in sort of like a, a body position that allows them to to pass it straight away. Um, there were there were flashes uh, of really good link up play. There was one uh, down the right hand side that started from Madoy and finished with him taking a shot uh, at Leno and I think that was literally the move before we conceded the goal um, and the passing was better um, but then in the second half I feel like all the possession just went they there was no real uh, there was no real intent from Fulham Caviero lost the ball a lot Tom Kenny lost the ball a lot um, and, and I feel like uh, the creativity we're really going to struggle with unless we get someone in there who's a de- who's a, a defined playmaker that can bring others into play because I think 99% of the fan base would hope that would be Tom Kearney. But I think the harsh reality of it is he's not going to be that player for us this season, especially yeah. if he's playing deeper. 
So I feel like as lo- alongside the, se- the two centre-halves we need, I feel like you also need a designated playmaker that's going to try and make stuff happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, be interesting to see what else happens in the transfer window. There's obviously still quite a long time left um, for signings to come in. Jack, um, what are the positives that Fulham can take out of yesterday? In my opinion, you know, it's we it's easy for us to be critical, but we don't face Arsenal every game. And I do think Arsenal will be in and around the top four chase this season. Whether they make it or not remains to be seen. They tend to have a wobble in the middle of the season. They often tend to start the season strongly. They often tend to end them strongly as well. They will beat many better sides than us this year. So what are the positives that Fulham fans can take out of yesterday's game? Because on the whole, we looked pretty tidy in midfield. You said so in your match reaction video that you did on Twitter and Instagram. And also... The heads didn't massively drop, did they? That was also encouraging to see because too many times in our last season in the Premier League, our heads dropped and it was really painful to watch. But it felt like yesterday that the mentality stayed strong and that's what Scott's going to really try and do this season. Scott Parker doesn't let our heads drop. He's he's created a mentality around the club, which is a we will not lose mentality. And I know we lost yesterday, but it was especially important in the championship games that we were expected to win and and needed to win. Um, Positives to take. Midfield looked okay. We passed it around nicely. Anguisa looked really good when he came on, as I said. Um, Joe Bryan had a decent game. I didn't think he got caught. He, he got caught out too much, and actually, he made a couple of really decent tackles and tracked back well. Uh, more positives. We've got none of the top six until December when we play Manchester City. We've got a really big run of games now: Leeds, Villa, Wolves, Palace, West Brom, West Ham, all in those uh, in those fixtures. Uh, what else? Mitrovic. If he starts 90, gets his first goal, uh, he's off and running. The front three looks okay in terms of the pace going forward. Uh, what else? Uh, we've got the likes of Ariola to maybe come into the team to see how he, play, how he plays. We've still got Lamina, Tete, uh, Aina, and maybe some more signings. Uh, so there are plenty of positives. Um, I'm not getting upset after one game. Uh, we've played a top six ty- a team and lost 3-0. Not the end of the world. It's just whether we can bounce back now. And the games against Leeds and Villa, I know Leeds is going to be extremely difficult. They were fantastic yesterday. Um, Or were they fantastic? But we'll come on to that, I suppose, at a later date. Um, The positives are there's plenty of time to go. We are Fulham and we uh, we we will bounce back. Super Fulham. Um, uh, Jarms, do you agree with uh, Jack's positive? I, I actually, I, I enjoyed that. I, I think that some positivity and some perspective is needed after yesterday's game, isn't it? Yeah, I, I do agree with some of Jack's points there. Um, obviously, we all know we're not going to team, play a team like Arsenal every single week. And a lot one uh, one phrase that's being bounded around a lot at the moment is is the free hit. And a lot of people don't want to talk about free hit and a lot of people do want to talk about it. But I feel like the first time we are in the Premier League, we, we said to ourselves, oh, this is a free hit, that's a free hit. You know, anyone in the top six is a free hit. But if you go in with that mentality, you're going to lose every game against the top six. It does, you know, the, the dressing room sort of loses any any sense of urgency pretty quickly, I'd say. But I think Jack's spot on. We've got a, a, a run of games coming up where we need to get as many points as we can. Um, we have one of the most informed strikers in Europe in our squad. We have two very adaptable and capable fullbacks to come into the squad, as well as uh, a couple of midfielders that already have Premier League experience. 
uh, and a returning Anguissa. We also have Jean-Michel Seri back in the squad. Obviously, divides a lot of opinion. But I feel like there are there are massive positives for Fulham. And if we do well in a transfer market, and let's not forget we've just got over just over two weeks left of that, then we can push on this season. Uh, I do believe that Scott showed a lot of metal last season. He showed a lot of pos- positive impact. Uh, and, and, and probably the biggest thing, they showed a lot of potential. And now it's up to him to sort of, you know act on that potential and get us into a spot where, you know, coming into December with that really tough run of games that we can look we can look our, over our shoulder and feel like we are comfortable. Yeah, indeed. Well, we'll take a little bit of a break. We've got lots of questions to get through and we're going to have a look ahead to Wednesday night's Carabao Cup game against Ipswich. Did you know that with Drizzly, you can get drinks delivered to your door in under 60 minutes? Yep. With Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and liquor, including favorites like Don Julio and Bullet Bourbon. Plus, you can shop across multiple stores in your area to find what you want at the best prices. Download the app or visit drizzly.com, that's D-R-I-Z-L-Y, and use code SAVE to save $5 on your first order today. If you're looking for an awesome Fulhamish gift, or maybe some clobber for yourself, we've got a great range of Fulham and Fulhamish merch like t-shirts, mugs and posters, with all proceeds going towards the future running of Fulhamish. Check it out at fulhamish.co.uk forward slash shop. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. And Jack Kelly. Hello. Really exciting. If you listen to this podcast pretty soon um so if you're listening to this on monday it's too late but i'm gonna be on match of the day two tonight which is exciting i think it'll be about five ten seconds but yeah i'll be doing a little roundup and trying to stay as uh, positive as possible so uh, if you listen to this and you're in the uk before 10 o'clock tonight uh, I'll, I'll be representing fulhamish pod on match of the day two which is exciting times okay let's have a look ahead to wednesday night's carabao cup game against ipswich the carabao cup this season the way it's falling is very strange indeed with it kind of been playing in consecutive weeks part of me quite likes it and wonders if there may be a way of this continuing in the future i don't know it seems quite nice that actually we'll already have kind of have four rounds of the carabao cup done um and we, we've barely started the season it, it makes a lot of sense um, as far as i'm concerned but anyway Wednesday night, we go to Ipswich Town. They're in League One. Um, ben, not too far from you. Obviously, if uh, you could go to games, I imagine this would definitely be one that uh, you'd be making an appearance at. Yeah, um, I do think uh, the Ipswich away is probably one of the closest for me. Uh, it's just about half hour on the train and I, I definitely like to go down to Portman Road. Uh, spent many a boxing day at Portman Road for Fulham versus uh, Ipswich before. So, yeah, I'd definitely make an attempt. I'd definitely be there if we could all be there. Um Jack, it's going to be very much a case of rotation, isn't it? You'd imagine maybe a, a good opportunity for lots of our new signings to get a game. I'd I'd expect Ariola to probably start. I'd probably expect Tete, Aina, Lamina all to get a run out in this game. And maybe also a smattering of some of our younger players as well. I'd love to see uh, a Sylvester Jasper in there, for example. Yeah, I was just about to say Jasper should probably start. I think um, he's got his... Uh, he got called up to the first team. He's in the first team squad. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw likes of George Wickens starting goal, actually. He's been called up to the first team now uh, instead of Ariola. But uh, yeah, it's it's about rotation. Look, we've got a really, really important game against Leeds at the weekend. And uh, as much as I'd like to progress in the cup, you know, we're going to play Sheffield Wednesday or Rochdale in the next round. There's a really good chance we can get to round four um, on paper. 
But um, yeah, it's about rotation. It's about giving the new players and, and a bit of young, and the youngsters a bit of game time um, against League One opposition who start their season in about 15 minutes against Wigan. Um, I don't know what to say about Ipswich, really. I think they've, they're probably a little bit under par this season in terms of going up to the Championship, but um, they'll probably want to get something over a Premier League side on Wednesday night. Um, Portman Road would have been a great away game for this as well, midweek. Uh, that's that lovely pub at the top of the hill as well. But uh, we cannot do it and we cannot do any game at the moment, which is... Uh, no. No, it's a shame actually, isn't it? Because as you say, it's probably one of our more plum Carabao Cup draws that we've had away from home in, in, a, in a few years. Obviously last year kind of ended before it began by playing Southampton at home, which is such a kind of drab one to get yeah, yeah. from a, from our from our perspective. So yeah, Ipswich away, uh, probably up there with when we went to Leighton Orient away, which was a great first round Carabao Cup game. Um, I remember with uh, Ryan, a certain Ryan Sessegnon making his uh, debut that day. I mean, there's not much we can look at Ipswich in terms of their form. They haven't played um, a game yet in the league. They play today at midday against Wigan at home. Um, so that's, I think, why our game is on the Wednesday and not the Tuesday, so that Ipswich have a little bit more of a of a gap in terms of fixtures and stuff like that. They uh, beat Bristol Rovers in the first round of the Cup. Again, what else can you look at? I mean, it's a bit of an interesting case with Ipswich, isn't it, Ben? Because yeah. they were a championship team for so long. Mick McCarthy was keeping them in the division pretty comfortably, but it was always so drab and Ipswich fans really just had to have it enough of, of Mick McCarthy and the way he was managing the team. And we all saw what happened when he left though. It all kind of went to pot and you'd have expected them to bounce straight back up last season. And they were top for a large part a of it time. and then just fell apart. And then when the points per game thing came in, they were, really far down the league didn't even make the playoffs if I if I recall correctly no you do recall correctly I think they they finally finished in 10th um see I feel like a lot of my Ipswich friends are saying that what has happened is that the the owner of the club um Marcus Evans uh I think is his name has has basically stopped investing into in, in as much into a club uh, as as they needed to um he essentially wanted them to become uh, self-sustainable but in a place like Ipswich, um, no disrespect for any of our listeners that do live around that area, it's very, very difficult to, for a club of that size to become self-sustainable in the, in the economy that they currently live in. So, yeah, I feel like um, they, they got what they wished for in that McCarthy left, but then they appointed a couple of managers that just haven't really worked out. And now they've got Paul Lambert, who's trying to get them back up. Um, they looked like they were going to have a, a, a rapid return into the championship, but then, as we said, finished in 10th. Uh, signed a few players um, over the, the summer this season that have got some good pedigree in them. I think Stephen Ward has come in and they've still got a couple of players in their squad like Alan Judge, uh, Cole Skews, uh, and Freddie Sears and Flynn Downs too, who probably um, would be looked at by a lot of championship clubs should they not go up again this year? Uh, yeah. And, and Ben, who would you like to see starting in, in this one on Wednesday? It's obviously going to be a chance for rotation. Is that anyone that apart from maybe, I guess it's the new signings and a few youngsters for you? Yeah, I feel like that's probably the way to go. Get someone like Lamina bedded in. Um, it'd be nice to see Angisa get like a full 90 under his belt. If he's not going to play for the full 90 against Leeds. 
Um, it'd be lovely to see both the fullbacks come in. Um, it'd be nice to see Wiccan start, as as Jack said, but I, I kind of feel like this is going to be a game where Ariola makes his debut in the same way that Sergio Rico made his debut against uh, Millwall in the Cup too. Yeah, well, uh, we'll wait and see. Seven o'clock kickoff on Wednesday. I have no idea how we can watch this. Jack, have you got any clues? I mean, I, I would... I would guess it would be normally through kind of the iFollow service because it's an EFL thing, but I actually don't really know how they're doing it for the Carabao. No, I, there hasn't been any news on FFC TV. What, I, what I'm planning on doing is spending £10, splitting it between a few friends, so we pay like, what, £2 each to, to, to pay for the iFollow on the Ipswich account uh, or Ipswich's page or, or how we, however you do it and then watch it there with a, a couple of cans of Pale Ales. What what a, what a beautiful Wednesday! What a, what a beautiful Wednesday <laughs> evening you have lined up for yourself. Well, we will do a podcast at some point after the Ipswich game, and of course, looking ahead to the Leeds game as well. Uh, that will probably be out on Thursday. Right, let's get into some questions uh, from listeners, and there was loads of great questions today. Colm Bugler, who was it that took the phrase "It's a free hit" to literally at half time? What on earth happened to Scott Parker's? face apparently i mean some people wonder if it was like a massive like fight in the changing room um isabel who uh, you've heard on the podcast uh, a few times seemed to know something about it being like being bitten by a bug but baffled bed what on earth happened there <laughs> no idea because the mark wasn't there when he came back out for the second half from memory um a couple of people in our in our fulhamish group also think that it's because he was pinching his face because he was really stressed so you can see that because Scott is a type of manager that actually plays with his face loads. If you watch him on the sideline, constantly digging away at his face <laughs> and his hair, it's really, really strange. For a man that's immaculate, he does a really good job of like just smacking himself all over the place. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I've no idea what happened there. That was um, very, very interesting. All right, proper question here from Jacob Kruper. How do we sort out the centre-back crisis and what do we do uh, with Anguisa, who was really good today, but if he's into the starting 11, who's out? Uh, Jack, your thoughts? Well, by sorting the centre-back situation, we need to sign a centre-back. Um, but the, the problem is, we don't <laughs> have... like There hasn't been many links yes to PK1, which I thought was just ridiculous and stupid and you know a bit of banter. But uh, apart from that, I mean, Hinteregger looked a, a good player, but apparently wants to stay at Frankfurt. Um, if, I, if I could sign a player... It would be Tamori, as you mentioned earlier, or even on Friday night, I, I really like the look of Cabaselli. I've said it in a podcast before, I remember, I think last time in the Premier League, that his services would be great at Fulham. I think Cabaselli is a great centre-back for Watford. And, and the fact he's playing championship football is is a crime. He should be in the Premier League and he should be at Fulham. Um, Anguissa situation, yeah, I mean, look, if this guy gets match fit, he should be our, our starter every week. Um, the talent he's got, the fact that he had a fantastic season last season at Villarreal and um, was really impressive in La Liga. You know, we've got a real gem on our hands. And, and uh, I remember, Sammy, you were talking to NTP20 last season about who's the player to look out for, for Fulham. And you said Anguisa. And then about a day later, he left for, for Villarreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we should take advantage of, of Anguisa because, uh, you know, Real Madrid were in for him earlier this summer. Uh, if he has one good season at Fulham, he could be worth an absolute fortune. He's a superb player and, and one we need to keep in the side. Um. Alex Zazula, Ben, says lots of positives in this game. How confident are you of, of staying up um, and who are we getting points off this season? Uh, uh, ben, are you optimistic, not optimistic? I'm 
I, I, a lot of people asked me this yesterday. Um, I was at a, a, a mate's um, barbecue and, and I said, I still think we might go down, but I think we'll go down fighting and with a chance of staying up and it might be last game of the season. I'm hoping it's not with a, with a, without, without a whimper. Um, your thoughts on Alex's question, Ben? Um, at the moment, I still feel like I'm a little bit neutral on whether Fulham are going to stay up. Um, I feel like you really give a test of your, or a testament to your ability when you play the teams that are in and around you. Obviously, Arsenal aren't going to be a team that are going to be in and around the, the bottom half of the table. I still maintain that I'd be absolutely delighted if we get 16th place. Um, uh, and I feel like we need to take points off West Brom, Aston Villa, Leeds. Burnley, Palace, Southampton, if we're going to be looking to get around that mark, obviously we will find out in the, in the coming weeks you know how, how adept this squad is. But I feel like there's going to have to be some changes before that we actually find out where we're going to end up in this league. Um, Bruce the Shark says, um, that's his actual <laughs> name. <laughs> Dr. Fulk on Twitter, uh, Jack says, why do we not have another striker? And this issue has been with us for some time now. The fact is not being sorted is criminal. Can't expect us to stay up with just Mitrovic. Um, I must admit, for me, I don't look at this squad and feel like, oh my God, we absolutely need a striker. No. Um, because I do wonder who on earth we can get in that's going to be second fiddle to Mitrovic. But... And we do kind of have Kamara and Reed who can do a job, but I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit naive on that one, Jack. Well, to answer the question, why don't we have another striker? It's because we didn't sign another striker. Um, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that the striker situation was imperative. I think obviously the centre-back and, and full-back positions were the most important. Yeah, I mean, Kamara could play up front as he did yesterday and he switched roles with like Cabano and um, he went up front and, and whatever. And we've got Bobby Reed of course, could play in that position as well. Uh, and we've got a player in Mitrovic who is one of the most lethal strikers in Europe. I mean, he got 26 goals last season. He's scoring goals for fun for Serbia. Uh, as long as he stays injury-free, I don't see the need of splashing another 20, 30 million on another striker. Um, I, I, I mean, only one striker I'd really would, would quite like would, would be Rian Brewster, but he looks like he's going to either Palace or Aston Villa if the price is right, I read this morning. Um mm. Yeah, I just don't think the strike situation is is too important right now unless Mitrovic gets an injury in the next game and please, please do not do that. It's the, it's the winger, isn't it? It's the wingers that are going to be the biggest fault, in my opinion. If we're going to persist in playing, playing with wingers, we need you know those that are going to be able to to create chances for Mitrovic and get the ball in the box. I think we saw yesterday that we, we lacked a little bit of guile, um, to be honest with you, and we lacked a little bit of incisiveness in that final third. And I think... As much as everyone would love to say they'd love to Cabano to be able to work out in the Premier League, I'm not mm. sure he will. Um, uh, and I, I kind of feel like that was where most of our attacks broke down was in wide areas. Maybe we need to address that too. Yeah, and for me, I just don't know what it is about Cav. He just, every game he plays, he you know, he looks fast and he just doesn't have that much end product on him and, and hasn't for a while. He started so blisteringly last season, but I feel like apart from a few flashes, we just don't see that kind of side from Cavalera, particularly in creating chances um, often enough. And you wonder if maybe a 
player like Knockout might come in for for the Leeds game um, just to change things up. Ben, there are so many questions. Literally every question is asking who you'd like at centre-back or what to do about centre-back or is Hector um, more of a problem than Reem? So it'd be good to just maybe get some analysis from you again um, on the on the centre-back situation. I mean, I'm just going to read out some names that have asked about centre-backs. Uh, Thomas Gordon's asked about centre-backs. Nathan's asked about centre-backs. Thomas Brown's asked about centre-backs. Everyone in our WhatsApp group's asked about centre-backs. Yeah, uh, Rockus, <laughs> yeah. Rockus Hugendorn has asked about centre-backs as well, just to give some shout-outs for those that have asked the question. So yeah, your thoughts on the, on the situation and who on earth we could sign to, to fix it? Well, I feel like it's, it's definitely uh, an area that we need to address. I think yesterday basically proved everyone's point in that Reem and Hector are unfortunately a very, very slow partnership. Um, Reem wasn't up to his normal standard with his passing and if we're going to persist with passing out to the back then I think we need a, a, a player that's going to be adept at that we also need a player that's going to be able to to command the box and, and also with, with more pace so uh, I think that's probably the, the boxes that a lot of people are going to be looking at uh, ticking there um, I, one thing I really really liked uh, was from Jack Collins um, and again it's, it's our neighbours up the road from Chelsea they've just signed uh, Maylang Sar from Nice uh, on a I think it's like a five or six year deal and Jack said look why don't we just ask them if we can take him on loan for you know uh, a season or two um, yeah we're not about really developing other other teams players for them however this is a young guy that's got a lot of pace uh, has a huge ceiling of, of potential has performed really well in a Nice side that is basically transforming itself into a developmental side at the moment why can't we just you know, potentially take him on loan for, for a couple of seasons. I think that's such a great shout. Yeah. And I, I feel like uh, that that's a great one too. And I love Jack's shout from earlier and on in the podcast as well for, for Gabasele. And I feel like there, there are players and centre-halves around in, in leagues all over the world that we can probably look at there. But I think Melang Sarr, Gabasele, uh, to name just but a few, uh, two people that we can potentially be looking at and Tamori as well is, is another good chance. it's just so frustrating because it feels like for so many years we've just been like missing a centre-back and last year we were missing a centre-back and we kind of got Hector in and then we didn't have him in time for the registration so we didn't have him in for six months I've just so but I, I almost kind of want Tony to just like raid like have why just go buy 10 centre-backs just just go buy them all like just just like please stop this every season being the main position that we are concerned about so fingers crossed look there's a lot of time left in the transfer window and you know one question that we had in was can you blame tony khan for the centre-back situation unfortunately the way it's all fallen out with the transfer window not closing until october the 5th i believe it is like you're not going to be able to get all those deals in before the season starts and and that's why this situation of fulham not just getting promoted in this situation, but getting promoted through the playoffs. So there was an even less time for, for, to sort it is really, really difficult. And, and lots of teams at the moment are searching for their centre back, you know, obviously like a team like Leeds, they lost, they lost Ben White, um, who's gone back to Brighton. They're desperately after one. So many teams need a good centre back. They're not easy to come by. So yeah, I, I think keep the faith a little bit. If it's October the 6th and we haven't got a good centre back and it's still Reeman Hector for the season, then maybe you can start adding Tony Khan. But until then, I don't know if there's much that can be criticised until he's had a full window to at least get his players in. It's 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 a difficult situation and I, I do empathise uh, a little bit. Um, finally, Ben, from Chris Harris, what was Parker ordering from the Chinese last night? <laughs> 
I think uh, Parker was was probably going down a route where he needed to sort of drown his sorrows, but in Chinese. So um, I'm going to go for Peking spare ribs, uh, 24 pork balls, uh, chicken balls, uh, vegetable spring roll, um, a Chinese style curry with uh, special fried rice, uh, beef in black bean sauce, uh, lemon chicken, and also... Or I think we'll top it off with some like pineapple fritters. Have you got the menu for a Chinese takeaway in front of you at the moment? No, I just said everything that basically came into my head. That was very <laughs> impressive. I was like, wow, he really knows his uh, Chinese food. <laughs> or at least his Chinese um, takeaway food. I imagine uh, in China, we probably don't eat that many of those things. Yeah, I bet in China, half of those dishes just don't yeah. exist. Just basically like chicken tikka masala doesn't exist in India. So, so a really Chinese weird. person walks into a Chinese and goes like, have you got, have you got anything else on the menu? I don't really like any of these. Yeah. Have you got any actual Chinese? <laughs> any actual Chinese food. <laughs> um, okay. All right, well, we'll take a break there for today. As I said, the podcast will be back later in the week, looking back at Ipswich and looking forward to that massive game at Elland Road against Leeds on Saturday, which is on BT Sport now, by the way. Um, it's still a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday, but it is going to be shown on BT Sports so we can watch that game who knows how we'll be able to watch the Ipswich game if at all but there's not an awful lot riding on it uh, Ben what are you thinking for the podcast title today uh, so for this week's three word review I'm going to go for Matt Brightwell's three gun salute nice oh, very clever alright well uh, thank you very much for listening today uh, to Ben Jarman thank you for being here thank you very much Sammy nice to be back and Jack Kelly thank you as always yeah, lovely to be back on the podcast. Uh, enjoy and subscribe to the YouTube. Yeah, make sure you uh, check out Jack's uh, YouTube reaction, which should be out probably probably by the time that this uh, podcast is released. So uh, have a good start of your week, and we will speak to you later. Come on, you whites. Come on, you whites. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. A cash recommends. recommends.